Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome inside the Celtics Lab podcast. I'm Justin Quinn here with Cam Tabatabayim, Alex Goldberg of Celtics Hub and Off the Glass respectively. And we have predictions for you in this episode with some freshly baked season superlatives, win-loss projections, and everything else we could think of trying to divine ahead of the Celtics season opener. Tuesday night, how are we feeling about the 2020-21 season? Cautiously optimistic. Uh, whether or not it should happen, it looks like it's going to. And uh, the cognitive dissonance there is exciting, to say the least. My life is just so much worse when the Celtics are not <laughs> on. Uh, so this is a really big moment for me, uh, for my mental health, and just generally enjoying my day-to-day a little more. The sun is setting quite a bit earlier. Uh, when I wake up, it's pretty cold and miserable. So I need this, and I'm glad they're coming back. But other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, the play was fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've got some news uh, before we dive into all of that uh, divinatory business. I think the most important question we should probably address is, are we pawns in some great game? (laughs) Certainly not in the NBA. Uh, It's a really fun prompt, maybe in the macro sense. but I don't know that Kyrie Irving is who we can all assume you're talking about. Oh, yes. Uh, was being thoughtful with his messaging there. Um, there's a little bit uh, to scale it down, and let's just keep the, the framework that this is a basketball podcast and this isn't particularly important stuff. Um, the NBA media operates as the fourth estate, so to speak. Um, it's an entertainment product. You need to get the word out. And the way that the NBA went from the third most popular sports league, maybe the fourth to the darling of professional sports in North America has something to do with television and blog boys and everything in between. And I'm going to preempt Alex, excuse me, by saying, I think Kyrie has a point. The Kyrie, the disruptor that Woj ran this summer was part of my French utter bullshit. Sorry if you have to go and bleep that Justin. Um, that I that would really really grind my gears if I was Kyrie Irving but the folks who play beat writer for the local paper or the up-and-comers who are trying to make a name for themselves they aren't part of that and so I think Kyrie is throwing the baby out with the bathwater and suggesting something about pawns although quite frankly it was a terrible metaphor Um, if he's being coy that's one thing but it it was a little bit of a mess just from that perspective Uh, I'll swing it to Alex well, uh, I think Kim makes a great point, which is that pawns are a fairly important piece in chess. There's a lot of them, so people they can think become of them queens as disposable. But pawns can actually do some stuff. Uh, you know, I, I think if we're if we're talking about what Kyrie is trying to divine, what Kyrie is trying to say there, 
I mean, it's possible that he's referring to pawns in the games of, you know, the deep state and the global cabal that actually runs the world. But um, if, it, if that's not what he's going for, and if Cam is on the money there uh, with kind of his references to media, you know, I think the thing is, Kyrie has had such a hostile relationship with the media for a long time now. But so much of that also just has to do with the fact that I think Kyrie... Um, Kyrie gets way more bullshit questions than just about anybody in the NBA I can think of. And part of that is, you know, because he gives weird answers and people are always trying to get the most interesting content they can. So they poke at Kyrie and he'll give them a weird answer. You know, in that way, he kind of plays the game inadvertently, even if he doesn't want to. I guess my take on this is that I, I just hate that the story keeps coming back. You know, it's it's really kind of yesterday's news. Like we know that Kyrie is going to say some weird obtuse bullshit. We know that the media is going to jump down his throat for it. And the cycle is going to repeat and repeat. Uh, you know, there's more interesting stuff going on in the NBA, just such as like, how is Kyrie Irving going to look on the court? That's way more interesting to me than whatever Kyrie's media relationship is. So. I think that is a great segue into talking about exactly that. Before we do, uh, I just want to reiterate uh, your points that, again, he's a slightly different dude and they, they're just locked into this death spiral. And I don't think anyone's doing anyone any favors in terms of creating actual NBA content from focusing on it. I did not run any stories on it just because I figured, you know, just discussing it briefly in the podcast would be enough because we've covered this story already several times as you were kind of hinting at. And right. he does seem like he is kind of pivoting towards, I don't know if contrition is the right word, but maybe <laughs> realizing the power of his words a little bit more quickly. Um, you think? The comments, no way. No, the comments no today. Way. <laughs> okay, so let me, let me put it this way. Let me, let me put it this way. There's a lag because he's still addressing, today he addressed uh, the comments he made about Steve Nash and saying, you yeah. know, I have to take that back. That's fair. That's, I mean, a, that's a radical statement from Kyrie Irving. And I'm really hopeful we start hearing more things like that when he says something kind of stupid. Because newsflash, that's the way to make it go away. Like that. And Alex and I were uh, off air discussing Kyrie is 28. So he's an older young adult. As someone who's also 28. He's still in his... He's in the last year. He's in the last year of his mid-20s before he hits his late 20. Um, he is approaching a point where this is foolish and beneath him, but he still is learning about the world. And I, I would suggest to Kyrie that perhaps media is a powerful tool that he could better finesse the way Kevin Durant picks and chooses his media spots, the way LeBron has clearly figured it out. And Kyrie, that we know, is still, it's, it's more antagonism in a way that isn't really building a brand. I think it's so fascinating that I don't, I don't think James Harden will be a net, but somehow Kevin Durant is like the coolest, calmest cucumber out of I was this whole say, mess. Yeah, the, Kevin, the most Kevin unhappy Durant. person in the NBA. I, I, I was going to say, yeah, I think, you know, Cam, to your point, Kevin Durant is actually an example of one of the people who is best at the media now in yeah. the NBA. He has developed his own great persona on Twitter where he's just like a perpetually salty weirdo. I love it. It's <laughs> super funny. Uh, it's a great bit. And I just, I think Kevin Durant is 
finding his voice in that media landscape in a way that's really weird and unique and cool. And I hope Kyrie can take a page from his book and they can just become this like weirdo, like esoteric bit comedy duo. That would be great. <laughs> How do we feel about those two on the court in their preseason return? I think, uh, you know, I, I didn't watch a ton of this game. I just saw kind of clips here and there. Uh, I will say it's hard to take away a lot against, you know, the Washington Wizards uh, in a preseason game without Russell Westbrook or Bradley Beal. Um, that team is going to be extraordinarily bad on D. So it's, I, I guess the main takeaway I would have is that it's good to see that both of them are moving well. Like neither Durant nor Kyrie looked like they were laboring out there. I still think that the Nets are perhaps a little bit overhyped going into this season. Uh, I Obviously, Durant is when he's healthy and playing well in all-world talent. Uh, I really have questions about this team's defensive identity and whether they're going to be able to get stops. But there are going to be times when the Nets are going to look quite good this year. And, you know, I think, I think Durant moving well is a good sign for them at the very least. Yeah, I think Alex said it very well. I mean, I'm adjacent to a lot of Nets fans, and if you can believe it, even more Celtics fans. And so the Nets being good could be a bit of a craw um, for me. But I think for the strength of the league and for basketball purists, a healthy Kevin Durant and a healthy Kyrie Irving together is basketball nirvana in a way. Not defensively at all. Um, and that will certainly be their undoing. And I'm sure we'll talk about the world order in the East. Uh, but I just wrote in my notes, I'm feeling afraid. And then I wrote comma, very afraid. Uh, but then I also think about who represented the East in the NBA finals this year and what that looked like. So I think Alex is right to be cautiously optimistic about what the Nets can achieve. I don't really have too much to add to that, but um, James Harden. <laughs> Proper response. Yeah, dude, get a grip. Grow up. It's <laughs> pathetic. It's just he's it's toned it down. That that response is five days old, but come on, dude. Are you kidding? <laughs> 31 years old. Um, and I'm gonna jump the gun uh because I know in our notes there was smoke about him coming to Boston and what do we think about that? No. If anyone who's ever been to Boston knows that there's absolutely no nightlife whatsoever. There's no nightlife if you are participating in COVID safety. What which... are you saying about the model, dude? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Shout out to, there's a nightlife if you are 20 years old and you have your older brother's fake ID. And there's great nightlife. Um, but I wouldn't want to be a 31-year-old six-foot-six millionaire in the city of Boston, especially with James Harden's appetite for nightlife. Uh, so for James Harden's purposes, I understand why he doesn't want to come play in Boston. Uh, and for the Celtics purposes, I don't even want to get into why I hope they don't go and get This is very long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you can start the list with, I, I don't even think that the Celtics have that many packages for James Harden that make a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jalen Brown is probably the young asset that everybody's been mentioning most in these potential deals. Uh, I have some news for y'all. Danny Ainge is not trading Jalen Brown. He's just not going to do it. Not after signing Jason Tatum to a gigantic max deal. Those guys are best friends. 
that would be incredibly bad for the team chemistry. So that's not going to happen. And then you're talking next best dudes out the door. That's Kemble Walker and Marcus Smart. I don't know that Houston would be particularly interested in that offer. And I think it would be a weird on-court fit. So I think the odds are super unlikely that James Harden is in the green for um, uh, the foreseeable future. The only thing I would say is maybe you get somebody with the big trade exception that catches mm-hmm. Houston's eye. Uh, and in that scenario, you're still probably only getting Harden for a rental for exactly the reasons that Cam just listed. Yeah. You can and pull this... that, if you can pull that off, that's a really strong team, but that takes a lot of doing. And I just don't think that Houston's going to bite on that. And this is jumping the gun and not the point of this podcast, but I, I will say there is a world where the Celtics are involved in a James Harden trade because there will probably be so many working pieces. Get um, PJ Tucker. Do it. <laughs> yeah. The world would be a happy place if Houston just all out tanked. Well, another important issue that is a little bit more directly related to the team is how healthy they are when they take the floor on Tuesday. And beyond, even to the season opener, we are hearing that Tristan Thompson may not be ready by December 23rd. How are we feeling about the health of the Celtics team before the season has even started? I'm feeling weirdly optimistic. Uh, My frame for the season is as follows, that it's not a normal season. Um, And because of COVID, you just have to bake in a lot uh, more missed games at the top that even iron horse players who don't usually miss games might be sidelined because they got exposed or they got sick or something like that. And so I think trying to uh, figure out who's going to fall where in the standings is really tough because depth is so much more at a premium right now because the ninth guy off the bench might suddenly have to play a role as a starter for five games straight. And I don't have many hesitations about Brad Stevens as a coach, but one thing I do know about Brad Stevens as a coach is that he took uh, the darling of the NCAA, Butler, to, what was it, consecutive? Consecutive. Uh, Right. He knows how to make talent out of young, overlooked players. Um, So the college coach that lives deep within Brad Stevens is going to be useful for a team that has – uh, two rookies and five or six sophomore players, something like that. Yep. Um, so compared to the, the top heavy East, suddenly the Eastern conference is kind of cool. Um, but none of those teams have any real depth or any depth to sneeze at the Celtics included, but they have a coach who knows how to maximize young talent. So uh, to answer your question about health, take your time. Yeah. Roll the hospital Celtics whenever you need. Yeah, I think that's the right track, Cam. And, you know, I think that um, one thing that I've actually been kind of frustrated with Brad about is that he has typically not thrown rookies into the fire and young players into the fire unless yeah. these situations pop up, which they always seem to. But he's typically pretty loath to play the young dudes that are unproven on his roster until he absolutely has to. This year, that's the beginning of the season. Uh, And I think that, listen, you know, when push comes to shove, if the Celtics are going to be a title contender, we need to see what we have here. And we need to see whether 
some of these young dudes are ready to step up and make a big impact or whether they are more effective as trade partners. Um, you know, I think like we're about to have the potential running out like opening night if things trend the way that they are. Like we might be running out a starting lineup of Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Grant Williams, and Robert Williams. That's an unbelievably funky and cool group. And I want to see how they play together. I don't know if it'll be good, but it will certainly be enjoyable. You think it will still start uh, Ty Lord over Tice? Uh, I, I, I am basing that off of Tice having a sore back. I imagine that Tice will probably be back and healthy, but in the scenario where he is not. Mm. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of agree with both of you in that the the people who are either not on the team anymore or going to be out, Kemba Walker, Romeo Langford, Gordon Hayward, and potentially Tristan Thompson, that kind of, at least very early in the season, forces Boston to to elevate people like Time Lord, Robert Williams, uh, to get some playing time. There's, there's almost no way they're going to be able to not play him. And he needs to show that he is worth playing more. So, I mean, he's going to get an opportunity almost certainly because of this. I think that's a pretty good thing. Yeah, I'd like to revisit my conspiracy theory that Kemba Walker isn't hurt and that Mm -hmm. this is an opportunity for the Celtics to showcase their very young players. uh, Yeah, the fast PP. Um, (laughs) Time Lord included, uh, just to boost some of their trade values. Um, So trust the process, baby. Yeah. Seeding doesn't matter this year. No home court. Yeah. Just make the playoffs and go from there. I have to announce uh, a pair of very important free agent signings. Mm-hmm. Abby Chen is back. Mm-hmm. BC Boston. Not a bad too soon. And James Biggest Young is a Nick. <laughs> yes, yeah, James Young. James Young being a Nick. Um, you know, I did not. Uh, have the New York Knicks super high in my power rankings to open the season. I had them, in fact, dead last. Uh, if James Young can come in and actually get on the floor, he is going to get a lot of shots on this Knicks team. But uh, we'll see. James, James has had an interesting career so far. Yeah, he was most recently playing in Israel for anyone who hasn't closely been tracking James Young's uh, career. <laughs> How that might be the case, I don't know. Uh, yeah, he's got – I mean, look at Brad Wanamaker. He came from overseas after – did he He never played in the NBA before he came to Celtics, right? Mm, yeah, he went so. right from Pitt to overseas. I went to Pitt. I should know that. Uh, yeah, James Young, I don't know if he's got the goods, but he's got the athleticism. Let him play for the Knicks. Who cares? It's the Knicks. <laughs> no, but the Abby Chin signing, I mean, that is the biggest acquisition that the Celtics made this offseason. There was real questions about whether she was going to return – uh, having her back in the fold is going to be huge for morale and for the Celtics broadcast experience in general. Uh, Kyle Draper, you know, shout out. Uh, you uh, you had a good run, but frankly. You picked Sacramento. Think... Good luck. But I mean... <laughs> maybe, you got a, maybe you got a pay raise. I was going to say, stop maybe streaming Celtics games so that they can pay Abby Chin all the money in the world. I'm just saying, Abby is ready for the job. I think it's going to be a good fit. There's this other thing happening. We're recording this on Monday evening, uh, Tuesday night. You may have heard of it. A preseason game against the Philadelphia 76ers. Boo. Boo. What do we think is going to happen? I mean, what are our thoughts? It doesn't matter. I mean, I think, yeah, Alex is right. We're so starved for distractions from this miserable hellscape that 
<laughs> we find ourselves in um, that it's I'm excited that the Celtics are about to play a game, but they most recently played on September 27th. So this has been a very short off season yeah. um, after what was a very grueling, probably uncomfortable emotionally and physically taxing trip to Orlando. Um, and so I, again, I just, I want to give them long runway to get right. Um, it makes sense to me that LeBron was like, screw that. I'm not playing in January. This is preposterous. Uh, I don't think Jason Datum gets to say things like that, but if he misses a few games here or there because he's quote unquote sore, that's cool. Alex is right. There's six teams, seven teams, maybe that matter in the East and without home court seating doesn't, uh, Unless you have to go to Tampa Bay to play the Raptors, because Tampa Bay seems like a terrible place. But who knows what the playoffs will look like if they happen at all. Um, so the preseason game, I'm excited. I'm excited to see hoops. I'm excited to see Celtics hoops. I'm excited to see the rookies. Uh, I'm excited to be on Twitter with all of my Twitter friends. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm not going to take too much stock in what we end up seeing on the court. Big thing I'm looking for in the preseason game is that um, there's been a lot of talk this offseason that Grant Williams is ready to make a big jump, uh, that he's been improving his shooting form and he's ready to do interesting stuff. I want to see him in the starting lineup and I want to see him playing some minutes. If, if he's going to, you know, he's, he's going to be, for better or worse, a really big part of this team this year. And so I, I want to see what he looks like uh, with the Jays. It's always a joy to watch them play. So, you know, I'm, I'm psyched to see them all the time and Marcus, of course, but uh, it's the main reason I'm going to be watching is for Grant, for Peyton Pritchard, for Nesmith. And uh, I think maybe for some Tremont Waters. We'll see. Ooh, that's fun. That's very fun. So with that in mind, we don't want to take too much away from this. What do we want to see from, for example, the rookies? Like, what are we looking for from Fast PP and Green Bean? Fast PP, by the way, is Peyton Pritchard. That's his old Twitter handle. And Green Bean, where did that come from? Did he come up with I that? I think he, yeah, he came up with that himself. It's not very good, but it's charming. Yeah, uh, works for now. I am reminded of the fact that Grant Williams missed the first 26 or 27 three-pointers he took as a Correct. pro and then had some of the biggest plays down the stretch and the semi-conference and conference finals for the Celtics. So that's another thing where I'm not going to um, count any chickens before they hatch. Uh, that said, uh, Nesmith, I'd really love to see him just blow the barn doors off with his shooting right away. That would be great. Um, and the fast PP. Uh the Celtics are really want for effective ball handling. So if early on he shows chops for it, that'd be really encouraging. He doesn't need to be great at it right away. He doesn't need to be perfect, but if he shows flashes, that's going to mean something down the stretch because Jeff Teague is an old bag of bones that I don't feel confident about. And Kemba Walker's bones also seem to have some problems. So if they can get something out of uh, Mr. Pritchard, that would be cool. And I'll be looking for early signs of that. The big thing I'm looking for with Peyton Pritchard is, is he going to be able to get not absolutely washed on the defensive end? If he can just is that be... a rhetorical question? <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's going to, you know, I, uh, Peyton is 
Uh, he's in his in camp footage and in college, he's shown clear ability as a ball handler, as a shooter, as a playmaker. Um, he is not the fastest dude in the world. He is not the most athletic dude in the world. And those are two pretty big parts of NBA defense, but he tries really hard. So I'm interested to see if Marcus Smart can show him a couple of dirty tricks to make him playable on the defensive end. If he can, if he can just be an okay defender his rookie year, then I think that that will speak well of where he's headed. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat with both of you, uh, particularly on the defensive end. That's really the most important thing for any rookie coming into the league. No one really expects rookies or almost, you know, 58 of the 60 rookies being drafted to be effective offensively. But they are expected if they're going to play to be able to play defense well enough that they can at least be hidden. If they are, if they are like among the league worst, then they're just going to have a seat right away. And we cannot have that. Especially yeah. with Brad Stevens coaching. Although again, this year might demand different approaches. What about the starters? I mean, who are going to be the starters? We, we seem to be like kind of dancing around this concept of, of um, Grant Williams starting, for example. Because, I mean, there's, what else do we have for? I mean, Shemi Ohole or, or, or what? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I feel like Marcus Smart has firmly graduated from utility bench player. I think it seems like he and Ainge have a great relationship, and I could see a world where uh, he does come off the bench in a six-man capacity, so there's playmaking off the bench. Um, but given what he has meant to the team on and off the court, that feels like a tough swing. And it's not like a incredibly deep roster right now. So let's assume uh, Mr. Tatum and Mr. Brown start, Mr. Smart starts. Uh, I suspect Tice, I think he's questionable for the first preseason game. So let's hope he gets right in the next uh Holy crap, when's the first game? The first game is Christmas, right? Uh, first preseason game is tomorrow, though. First preseason game is tomorrow, but then, yeah. yeah. So pretty soon, Tice's back better be good. Um, but I'll say I think Tice starts. Um, certainly, Tristan Thompson is tracking to come back later than that. And then I would imagine Teague start with someone who's been there before. Maybe not in the preseason, um, but opening night, certainly, I think, Teague. Preseason... I personally would go nuts, but that's why I'm not an NBA coach, I guess. I think there is a reasonable chance that Marcus Smart is the opening night starting point guard. And I actually don't think it has too much to do with Jeff Teague's level of play so much as the fact that continuity is going to have an outsized value going into this season. I think uh, knowing that training camp is significantly condensed and that even with veteran NBA players, it's going to take some time for them to learn the defensive and offensive rotations and all of that. I think your opening night uh, starters are going to be the Jays, Smart at point. I think Grant is getting in there. And then I think it's going to be Daniel Tice if he's uh, ready to go. I just, I think continuity is going to matter a lot this year. I tend to agree on the continuity tip. I do think there is a possibility that T could play his way into the role uh, just because of the utility, as, as uh, Ken was hinting at, in terms of having plan making on the second unit. But I mean, you know, if Smart isn't good enough, I think Teague will be good enough, hopefully. And if not, then, you know, we've got two other point guards on the roster who at least should be able to offer something on the second unit, hopefully, by now. Like, if, if there isn't anybody... Uh, 
besides Marcus Smart, who is functionally able to to distribute, then we're going to have some very, very big problems uh, with this roster. So I, I, I do think that it's quite possible we could go either way. I, I'm leaning just towards the, the whole continuity thing uh, once games count. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me at all to see some experimentation of a variety of positions uh, in the two preseason games that are coming up. Um, we won't be seeing too much from Tristan uh, Thompson early on. Um, so I just want the guy to stay healthy when he does right. get with us. Um, he hasn't played more than 60 games for the last three seasons, maybe even four seasons. Mm-hmm. I'm a little worried about that. Uh, I mentioned to you guys, I think, in the chat that I'm a little concerned um, because usually a light, like a grade one hamstring tear is not much more than a two week, you know, two week, maybe 20 days maximum sure. um, to recover. But he has and really long hamstrings. <laughs> I was not expecting that, but you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um so, I mean, for me, Tristan Thompson, I just want him to take his time again because we really don't need him that badly to start. Um, but really, I just want him to be around the team and sure. you know, sharing his, his, his veteran experience as a player with these, with these younger guys. But, I mean, what do you guys think about Thompson, at least early in the season? What are we looking for? If he does show up, if he doesn't early in the season – I mean, I, I definitely really liked the Tristan Thompson signing when it happened. I have been pretty pro Tristan since he destroyed Al Horford two times in a row in the conference finals. Um, I think, you know, his health is obviously a concern. He's, he's 29. He's going to turn 30 this year. And, uh, you know, he's, he's had his fair share of being dinged up. But that being said, I think the cautious approach is the right one with Tristan. Let Robert get out there and try some stuff out. Um, mm-hmm. Tristan is going to be valuable for us in the playoffs, and we will need him to be as healthy as possible then. I think he can, best case scenario, if healthy, bring some of the physicality that we were really lacking uh, in the East Finals last year. So I think early on, my expectations for Tristan are be ready to play uh, whenever you're ready to play and then come in and just like set the tone, be physical and obnoxious on defense, get rebounds, things like that. Yeah, that's exactly my thoughts, Alex. Uh, My read on the past Celtics season is the two things that kept them from going to the finals were uh, Bam Adebayo being just a way more dominant physical force down low that the Celtics couldn't handle. And then the Celtics themselves choked a few times down the stretch and Tristan Thompson helps alleviate both of those things. So I think he's going to be really positive force for the locker room. Um, It seems like the Celtics locker room is a happy place, but this will only add to that. Um, And if by February and March, you know, you could rely on Tristan to stand up to the likes of a Bam Adebayo or a Joel Embiid that's going to really help in the East uh, because yeah, the BAM just took the Celtics lunch money and then just like threw it in their face. Uh, and maybe Tristan helps on that front. Teague. I mean, are we, we all kind of sound like we are secretly very worried that he's going to be completely washed. And I don't really think we, any of us actually think he's going to be completely washed. Well, how are we feeling 
about Jeff Teague as a Celtic? I mean, is there really a concern that he could be just a complete, I mean, even in Minnesota, he didn't, he wasn't that bad. He wasn't, you know, like an all-star by any means, but. I mean, I think, I think you know what you're getting with Jeff Teague at this point, you know, he's going to try hard on defense. He can push the pace. Um, He's a capable ball handler and passer. I think all, all of those skills are fine and they'll be useful as a kind of second unit guy. My thing about Jeff Teague is, um, you know, he hasn't been particularly healthy uh, these past couple of years and his shot has completely fallen off a cliff. And I just don't really see that recovering here in Boston. I think he's a useful kind of uh, player in spots. Personally, I think Brad Wanamaker is probably a little better than him at this point. Uh, but, you know, Jeff Teague is fine. Jeff Teague will not be the difference between whether the Celtics like make the finals or not. That's going to be the responsibility of other guys. Yeah. Well, unless Kemba's knees are in worse shape than we thought, but that's not really on Teague, is it? Uh, yeah. His, yeah, his three-point shooting is stable, but not impressive. His ability to penetrate and get his hands dirty is non-existent as defense as far as defense goes uh it's leaves a lot to be desired uh so he brings poise uh he's been around the block he brings hard work tenacity um he's not i I think alex is right you know what you're gonna get um but what you're gonna get out of this version of jeff teague who uh will turn i think 32 this year is probably not better absolutely not well actually i'll push back alex uh brad wanamaker had some like pretty disgusting really consequential assists i mean uh not assists turnovers uh for the celtics uh what it mattered fair. most and that's fair i, I just think FT brad might not do that but he's I mean, a much more creative passer too a much more creative passer i'm not yeah. saying that wanamaker can't pass the ball but i mean that's not why you have him on the team that's fair. I appreciated Wanamaker's ability to get kind of clutch steals when they mattered and turn that into easy transition offense. That's my favorite thing about him. But. Well, what about some predictions for the season? Oh, man. What's Many. the win total to start? What are, we going, what are we looking at? 72 game season diminished by 10 games. Well, so, Justin, I know what you're thinking because I saw what you wrote down. I don't know what Alex is thinking, but I'm way lower than you, Justin. Um, it's a good reason to be. I'm not going to take you to task for it, but go ahead. I was going to say, why don't you go? We can start on a high, but okay, I'll go first. Um, I have 43 wins, which in a 72 win season is a 60% uh, win clip, which amounts to about 49 and a half games in a normal season. Uh, Again, I think the Celtics are going to take it slow because of health. I think that they have uh, reason to miss Kemba Walker. They have questions on how they're going to make back the 17 and a half points that uh, Gordon Hayward offered tonight. And the East is a little more crowded than it was before. So wins are going to be a little harder to come by. So yeah, I have them clocking in at 60%, uh, a 60% winning clip, which is 43 wins uh, this season. I think uh, I'm maybe marginally more optimistic than you can, but not much. I think a lot of the issues that you pointed out are pretty legitimate. And I think, again, you know, we have to keep this in mind. The Celtics, I think, wisely should not be in too much of a rush this year. Um, I have them around 45. I think that 
is kind of threading the needle uh, with the hope that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown kind of take even more steps in their development and maybe Marcus Smart as well. Um, but yeah, I have them around 45. I think both of y'all are probably much more realistic. However, I do think there is a good chance that the roster that was more or less driving the Celtics success in the bubble postseason will be more or less the players on the floor for the early part of the season. And they were a pretty right. damn good team. Now, granted, the style of play is going to be a little different. People are going to be banged up, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's going to be differences. But let's say that by removing Gordon Hayward, who wasn't really there for most of that stretch anyway, right. and with Kemba Walker not available. I mean, Kemba be- wasn't there on defense during that stretch. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I love Kemba, don't get me wrong, but I mean, we can get into this a whole other time, but things need to change in his role <laughs> if he's going to be useful in the postseason. But I digress. If without those two, and now, and I've heard other people talk about this as well, it's finally the Jays team. It's their right. team and smart. I don't want to exclude him. Mm-hmm. These guys are going to be in charge and these guys are going to be leading the show. And it's going to be their show and they're going to know it. They're going to be, they already are conscious of it. And we saw a big leap from Tatum. I think, you know, after the all-star game confidence boost, we might be into another one, maybe not as big, but particularly with more touches. I mean, there's a lot more touches to go around right now. And we're going to see these guys' numbers go up. And when your numbers go up, your confidence goes up. And when you get accolades, your confidence goes up. Well, I like this. Yeah, maybe Brown takes a similar leap. I don't think it's, you know, not quite as big, obviously. I don't think he's going to jump from, like, nothing to all NBA or anything like that. But, you know, maybe, like, two all-star level of play. And Ooh, we'll say nice. one of these rookies can be playable. You know, mm-hmm. nothing great. I think if you have that team... That team, they'll lose a lot of games early as they figure themselves out, but I think they'll become potentially a very good team in an East that is not, in my opinion, as concretized as much of an improvement as some people have made it out to be. It's definitely better. It's definitely stronger. But I do think that there is a very good chance we might be wildly underestimating the Celtics again, as we seem to do on and off, like under and then over (laughs) from season to season. I mean, I'll buy what you're yeah. selling. You're... And I think, sorry, go ahead, Kim. No, 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 go. I was gonna, I was gonna say, go to the next segment. Well, uh, I just one last thought on this is that you know I think it's really possible that the Celtics actually end up being a worse regular season team and potentially a more threatening playoff team than they were last year. I think this roster is well suited to win in postseason basketball, and I think it's going to take some time to get there, but uh, with all the injuries. But if Kemba and Tristan in particular can kind of be ready when it matters. I think this team is going to be really hard to beat in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Yeah, and to that end, I think maybe Milwaukee is the only team out of the the top six or seven teams that uh, categorically will be better on offense and defense than the Celtics. Um, I don't know that you can say that, but oh, Alex is vehemently shaking his head. Um, great podcast banter. <laughs> um, so I do think Justin, you're right. There, there are ways to interpret this as uh, very optimistic. Um, but then I agree with Alex that they aren't necessarily built for the regular season. So where they land in the regular season seating, I just wrote one to six. I have no clue where that might fall. What about you guys? 
so again, I'm being incredibly optimistic. Uh, I don't know if I can say without a doubt in the East that there is a team that is definitely better than the Celtics enough where I would say I would definitely have them above Boston. So I will give them a second seed. And I'm admitting that it's wildly optimistic. I think it's much more realistic that it'll be more of a three or four in that range. But I do think it's very possible that we're kind of all in this like, you know, new toy mode with every team in the league really at this point. And mm-hmm. if I'm being completely honest, the only team at all who I would call a contender that I think unequivocally got better is the Lakers. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that, Justin. The Lakers are pretty clearly the favorites to repeat, which is a huge bummer. But um, <laughs> let's not even touch that. Yeah, no, but I, I think for me, the Celtics are probably. I, I had them as a three seed in my preseason projection, which is boring because they're always a three seed. But it's, I mean, it just seems about right for this team, uh, given their ceiling and the um, fact that they're probably going to have a lot of games where they're missing dudes. The Bucks are once again going to be an excellent regular season team. We will see how that goes for them in the postseason. I have my doubts. Um, and, you know, I think if Brooklyn is fully healthy, Kevin Durant is uh, potentially going to push them pretty high up in the standings. I also like what Philly did this offseason and don't think that they should be discounted. But mm-hmm. And Miami, you know, being the defending Eastern Conference champs, they're going to be tough every night. Um, I'm, I'm not super thrilled on where Toronto is heading right now, personally. Mm-hmm or Indy for that matter. So I have a hard time seeing Celtics falling lower than five. Uh, three sounds about right, though. I don't think they're going to be healthy enough to catch Milwaukee for the one seed. And I think because who cares about the regular season, what ends up happening is, uh, for my money, you have to really consider who has the best player in a playoff series. So wherever the Celtics land in the seedings, especially because home court, unless these vaccines are just, gangbusters and really easy to make they're not going to be playing in front of fans maybe in texas i don't know uh i think that the celtics don't have the best player in a series against the heat bam Adebayo, uh owns the last word on that front against a healthy kevin durant they do not have the best player in a series and what we have seen from Giannis in the postseason suggests that he might have playoff P syndrome and I'm willing to give him a season or two more before that's a way that I really characterize him. But uh, the person that, or the player rather that Giannis is in the regular season is very different than he is in the post. And it will be interesting because I would suggest that the Bucks have the better player in the series um, against Boston, but knowing how Giannis has performed in previous playoffs, I have paused there. But I am willing to say that against Miami and against Brooklyn, the Celtics do not have the best player in the series. Um, and that's up to Jason Tatum to prove me wrong. So where does it end for the Celtics at the end of the 2021 playoffs? Where do they stop? Well, Cam, I think I'm actually going to push back on you a little bit here and say sure. that I think there's definitely a chance that Jason Tatum ends up being the best player in a number of these series. Uh, you know, you have to consider, of course, one, he's still 19. So uh, that's, that's a big part. He can certainly grow and develop. 
Um, but I think, I mean, everything that I saw in the playoffs last year suggests that he can hold his own and go toe to toe with nearly everybody. The Heat, I think, were a horrible matchup for us last year for a variety of reasons. Chief among them is that I personally do believe that Eric Spolster is the best active NBA coach. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Tatum has proven that he's ready to go toe to toe with those guys. My questions are more at this point about kind of the rest of the roster and how that's going to look. Um, my, I, I, as far as the finish, I think obviously a lot depends on matchups and seating, but for what it's worth, I have the Celtics back in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that's a pretty reasonable expectation for the squad, uh, given potential internal improvements of Brown, Grant, Smart, Tatum, etc. Um, as far as winning it, I think they're a move away. I think they probably need sure. uh, to do something else to fill out the roster and get some more playable wing depth. Maybe that's just Aaron Nesmith is really good. Uh, but in a shortened off season, I kind of have my doubts. So Eastern Conference Finals sounds about right. I pushed, but I, I wouldn't be super surprised because the bracket can be favor- favorable in that way. But man, if the Celtics lost in the first round, I wouldn't be like so surprised either. I know that that sucks. Um, Listen, if we get it. It's yeah, I mean, if we get yeah. Brooklyn round one, that would suck. <laughs> I think again, I don't think Bam Bam's going to get better too. So uh, Jason might meet him at the rim, a better player, but Bam's going to be better too. I think they're uh, the worst team. I think Miami is a worse team than they were uh, at the end of the season after losing losing Jay Crowder. Um, and I do think that there's plenty of time for all of these teams to continue making changes, including Boston. And I, I came to the same incredibly exciting conclusion. Eastern <laughs> Conference Finals is the most likely outcome. And if they don't make any moves before then or improve somehow significantly, then that's that's where it's going to end. Best case. Well, be- yeah, before we move on from this, uh, this segment, I will say, and this is a little bit of self-plagiarizing, the Celtics' biggest foe in the East right now is not Kevin Durant. It is not um, Giannis. It's Pat Riley. Because the Heat have a lot of moves to make. And... Yeah. That what they look like in the spring and summer is not what they look like right now. I would hazard, and that's a scary team with a lot of core infrastructure. Alex is right, if not the, if not one of the best coaches, the best coaches, and plenty of moves to make. I kind of hope they get James Harden. That'd be funny. <laughs> I kind of think they Miami will. is just like the logical conclusion, isn't it? It really is. I, I cannot think of a better, more reasonable location. I think the Maury situation complicates the Philadelphia trade. They're not trading Kyrie, which is the only way he's ending up in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I mean, Milwaukee. I would maybe? say, I would say there's a team that has not yet emerged that I think could be a secret suitor for James Harden. The Denver Nuggets have the right combination of assets. Why would you do that if you're Denver? Um, Why would you trade Michael Porter Jr. for James Harden? No, why would you hamstring Jamal Murray and Jokic? Because uh, Jamal Murray, Jokic, and James Harden could be the best offense I've ever seen in my life. I'm so low on James Harden. I can't can't (laughs) agree with you there. Um, I see the attraction in the player, but I just, on paper, man, seasons are not played on paper. Well, what about hardware? How many all stars? 
Uh, I'm going to be a bummer again. I think just one. Uh, let's assume that Kemba is out. He doesn't play enough this season. He's also on the wrong side of 30. Um, out of last year's Eastern Conference All-Stars, I picked out Lowry, Sabonis, Middleton, and possibly Siakam as pulled. But then you got to put Durant and Kyrie in. So that leaves two, two open spots. Jalen Brown's game is kind of clunky. He, he can have some really nice dunks. Uh, when he's not lost on defense, he plays great defense, um, which is counterintuitive. But if you watched him play, I think you know what I mean. Um, I just – all-star voting. We were talking about media awards before and if they work properly. But I think all-star voting, you have to get in the mindset of a 12-year-old because it's Sprite presents all-star voting with texting and all the other crap. So that, that's why Trey Young is like one of the highest touted all-stars in the East because 12 year olds don't care about defense apparently. And I just, I don't know that Jalen Brown is a flashy enough dude in a league with enough flashy guys. So he will be on the bubble, especially with the coaches picks. But even then it's still a bubble at best. So I'm saying one all-star and then that's Taco J. I'm ready to put Jalen on the all-star team with his buddy, Jason. I think there are, you're right. The competition for the East all-star spot is going to be tough. Uh, you know, dudes like Westbrook get all-star oh, I didn't think about Westbrook. all the yeah, time. That's a, that's a real thing. That being said, um, Jalen played really well in the playoffs last year, especially in a bigger role. Uh, which he is going to get from the outset. He is, he is, no, there is no longer a question of whether Jalen Brown is the third, fourth, second best player on the team. He is clearly the second guy now. I think he's going to be much more involved in the offense. And I think his numbers are going to take a tick up as a result. So I would not be particularly surprised if Jalen ends up as kind of the last man on the Eastern Conference All Star team this year. Uh, you know, I think ideally you're saying, uh, you know, four open slots, probably Kyrie, Durant, Russ, maybe uh, jump in there. Somebody's going to get hurt. That's just the reality of it. We know at least one of those dudes is going to get injured and not be on the team. So I think Jalen's ready. Wait, hold on. I have a question. Can they cancel the all-star game? This year? I, no, they're still having the All Star game. It's just they're just not having All Star weekend. Well, yeah. they're having All Star week, but it's not even a week. It's like four days or something in March. Okay, and who yeah, knows? Not, who knows at this point, really? Yeah. But in theory, it is happening. I kind of, I kind of agree uh, with this with this narrative. I think it may very well come down to exactly how he's used this season. Because mm-hmm. if Grant Williams is a starter, I think he's got a chance. If he's not, and you're seeing you know Jalen playing at the four, uh, then I don't know if there's going to be room for him. Yeah, and I, I didn't even think about Bradley Beal or Drew Holiday. Yep. It's gonna be crowded. I think to again segue, uh, Jalen has a shot in an All NBA team as a contributor to a top seed or a top playoff team. Um, but just because of the quote-unquote politics of all-star voting, that's very different. Um, so I think the Celtics could have two all-NBA players, but likely will have one all-star. What about I you agree. two? I agree. I, 
I think I'm going to go the opposite and say I think Jalen is going to potentially be more likely to make an all-star team than an all-NBA team. I just think all-NBA, now you're bringing the West in and particularly at the guard and forward spots, the West is absolutely loaded. So, um, Just closing the loop on this idea that all-star appearances have to do with visibility. If you could make Jalen Brown the brand ambassador for one brand, what would you pick? Man, that's a good. Question. I would do other than like TED talks. I would maybe do some sort of slow drip coffee. I would. Um, I would do. Co- well, he'd want tea, mind you. Yeah, that's true. But I would do Coca Cola because then he would dismantle the company for all the messed up crap that he's done. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the right answer, Justin. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with um, global communism. Yeah, the resistance, <laughs> the Rebel Alliance. <laughs> Any other hardware in the works for these guys? I mean, I've heard I've heard Jason Tatum is a dark horse uh, MVP candidate, which I mean, the narrative yeah. is going to be there. Is the opportunity? It certainly could be. Uh, I don't know. I don't think of these awards as particularly corrupt, but let's just lean into that for a second. It would be really refreshing for the NBA mm. um, to bring in a new uh, age bracket for MVPs or give it to LeBron, which is probably well-deserved and retroactive. Um, I do think that there is a lot more politics going on with coach of the year. So I think Brad Stevens is overdue. He could go ahead and get one of those. Mm-hmm. And uh, if Marcus Smart is a starter as just like the um, free safety that he usually is slash inside linebacker, uh, he could definitely play his way into defensive play of the year just with that much more uh, playing time and exposure. I think at minimum, uh, Smart will be again on an all defense team. I think yeah. pro- I, I personally think he's going to get first team all defense. Um, uh, and I think another one that we haven't mentioned, and this is my hope of hopes, is that I really do think if he is a consistent starter, Grant Williams is going to have an outside shot at most improved. I don't think it's cool. likely, but I think there is definitely a chance. Um, Tatum MVP conversation. I think the numbers are going to be pretty close. I think MVP is largely a narrative-based award. Tatum is going to have the opportunity to put over put up those numbers, but um, I think with true established megastars like Giannis, LeBron, Durant, and potentially Anthony Davis in the mix, it's going to be pretty hard for him to crack into the actual MVP conversation. I think he has a dark horse shot. Any opportunity for the rookies to get any love from the league? That uh, I can be featured enough to be in the rookie of the year con- uh, conversation, uh, but they might be featured enough to be in the all rookie on the all rookie teams and in that conversation. Um, man, I don't know. I don't watch enough college hoops to really have an informed opinion, and I try to not be too emotional with my analysis, but emotionally i really hope that they are good uh, intellectually i just i don't have enough information i know that that's it seems unlikely. it's like giving up yeah. on responding to your question no no i mean i i agree actually i do think that there's basically no chance in hell they're going to be in the market for rookie of the year but i mean i could see if they can stay on the floor for 15 minutes plus a game that they could be all in, um all rookie yeah, I think all-rookie second team is actually not a particularly hard thing 
to get in the NBA. More often than not, there's at least one dude on the all-rookie second team who's just there because he like was able to play 15 minutes a game and not actively fuck up every possession. So <laughs> I think there's a chance that one of them sneaks onto second team, but uh, I don't. I, I think in a, a relatively thin rookie class, I think it's going to be hard for them to really make waves uh, for like rookie of the year candidacy. Who's the leader of the team? And is it the same as the captain? Well, the Celtics haven't still haven't named a captain. And I mean, I guess I'm just like the bearer of bad news here. Marcus Smart might be traded soon. He just has the most movable contract. Uh, and to Alex's point, you're not moving Tatum at all. And you're not moving. I don't think you can move Tatum. And you're not moving Brown as an extension of that. Uh, and so whatever reasoning they've cooked up with why we haven't named a, a captain since uh, since Paul Pierce, was Rondo captain? Uh, it ended with Rondo because Brad doesn't hasn't named one since. Right, right. Uh, I think he's the Brad Stevens experience has always been roster turnover, so you can't name a captain. Um, you can have a functioning captain, and that's Marcus Smart. Uh, he is just older and... He's the most oldest, uh, the most tenured Celtic. Um, the difference between being 27, 26, 27, and being 23, 24 means something, not just the NBA, but in the world. And uh, to that end, it's Marcus Smart a thousand times over, but it in some ways has to be Jason Tatum, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely has to be Jason Tatum. If the Celtics want to make the finals, Jason will pretty clearly have to be the guy to do that. Um, I think Marcus Smart is the spiritual captain of the Boston Celtics, and he is going to be that as long as he is on the team. Um, and I, I, I am personally just with with regard to Marcus Smart being traded, first off, Cam, I think you should be ashamed of yourself. But uh, secondly, oh. I, I, I just... You know, he is a movable salary, it's true. Danny Ainge, I think, sees a little bit too much of Danny Ainge and Marcus Smart <laughs> this year, so. at the very least. So I think he's your spiritual captain. I, I think, but I think when it comes to nut crunching time, we all know who the ball's going to, so. How many 20 points per game scores? Ooh, fun. Uh... So for context, Kemba averaged 20.4 points per game last year, Brown 20.3, and Hayward was in the mid-17s. There's reason to believe that Brown and Tatum will decidedly be there and that uh, Kemba could get there. And I think we're all hoping that Kemba gets there. I can't imagine anyone else even sniffs that. I think it will be fourth 20-point score by committee. Um, so yeah, I'll go with two and a half. Yeah, I think that's the right call. Uh, for Kemba, he can get there just is purely a matter of how many games he's going to play. Uh, I think the Jays are locks uh, for just volume reasons alone. Best three-point percentage. Oh man, I really hope it's Aaron Nesmith. Uh, now I'm kind of winging it. I, I haven't gotten to this point in my notes. Um, in the clutch, Marcus Smart, because there's something magical about that uh, that man. Uh, Nesmith, because that's exactly what the Celtics need. And uh, I think realistically, Tatum. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be Jason Tatum just because he's he's going to have the ball the most. He's going to be shooting the most. Uh, and I think, you know, his three-point percentage has just been going up and up every year. Um, he's got that sidestep move, which is just literally impossible to guard unless you are Kevin Durant. Uh, and we only play Kevin Durant four times a year. And he might not even be able to guard it anymore. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, I think, I think Tatum is the guy. I think Nesmith could become a high volume, good percentage shooter. But uh, I think with the condensed training camp, he's going to take a minute to kind of get his feet under him. I do think that I picked Nesmith only because I think maybe not in volume, but I think in a reduced role, he will probably be the kind of shooter I'm hearing whispers of him being in practice, just being like a demoralizing opponent. But that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, in, in live NBA action, he's going to continue to have that. So I think right. he may have the percentage, but he's not going to be anywhere near, in my opinion, the volume we're going to be seeing from Tatum. And there is an argument to be made that Tatum's percentage is going to drop, not increase this coming season, because more coverage, more attention, and increased difficulty. He's talking about shooting from further away uh, from, from the line. So I think all those things combined – real chance his, his three-point percentage goes down, maybe even markedly, so not to a bad level or anything like that, but maybe to like 37 38% as he's trying to basically take much more difficult three-point shots that are going to make the Celtics a much more dangerous to guard team. Well, supposedly he grew two inches this year, which I sort of believe, but then I also don't at all. Um, but if he did, uh, let's say one, just conservatively, I mean, that might help him get a shot up and over closer defenders media is so weird too because that was reported in august like steven said that for the first time in august definitely i went back and checked it. he definitely said that in august and it's blowing up now i don't know why it just well if it's like geist if jason tatum is bit is to be believed then jason tatum has been 610 for about three years and people have just been incorrectly reporting it <laughs> so we'll see the new the new nba uh, uh <laughs> metrics protocol is to blame, obviously. Mm-hmm. Assists. Who gets the most assists? Man, it better be Kemba. Uh, I don't Celtics think it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be either, but the Celtics need a playmaker. Uh, Kemba's pick and roll is awesome. Kemba's ability to shoot the three is awesome. But the structure of the team would really be benefited from a, a point guard who can make things happen. Uh, so I'm holding out hope that it's Kemba, but I don't know if anyone averages more than like five. That's about where Teague has been averaging. And I picked him for that reason because he's not going to be playing any more minutes. He's probably going to be playing similar minutes, like around 15 to 25 a game, depending sure. on who's healthy. And I think in that scenario, it's probably going to be him by a narrow margin, but that's just my guess. Alex? I, you know, I'm going to disagree with both of you here. I think <laughs> given um, kind of the fact that Kemba is going to be out for a little bit and I'm not exactly sure how big Teague's role is going to be right away. I don't, I just really don't know. I am actually going to pick the stalwart veteran Marcus Smart to average the most assists on this team. He played point guard in college. He has consistently been increasing his assist average throughout his career. And I think he's going to have significantly more playmaking responsibilities this year. So I like Marcus. I think he's, he's become a pretty darn good uh, passer particularly out of the post which he is weirdly effective at 
Uh, and I think Brad is going to start getting a little funky with some of these sets. I think we all agree that it's going to be Tristan Thompson pulling down the most boards. Any disagreement? Nope. Uh, I kind of want it to be Tice. Um, <laughs> <but> it <won't>. <laughs> <Me> too. <laughs> yeah, uh, it just won't. Uh, so yeah. Tristan's a killer on the board. I mean, he, for his whole career, he's just dominant in that regard. And I don't think that's going to change here. Team MVP. Marcus Smart. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the heart and soul. He's, he's the fire that keeps burning, the spiritual successor to KG. Jason Tatum might be the real MVP, but Marcus Smart is... Yeah, that answer isn't as fun. <laughs> All right, let's do some superlatives to get out of here. Real quick, who's the best-looking Celtic? I know you just said real quick, but I really want to get this right. Um, I think Jalen Brown's haircut is doesn't work. The way that his hair is cut and the length of his beard makes his, his facial features look squished. I think he looked a lot better when he had his flat top, um, just like proportionally. Uh, Jason Tatum is 19, so I'm not going to touch it. Uh, <laughs> I think Kemba has just a world-class smile. Um, I could really get lost in that smile, you know? Uh, so I'm going to say Kemba Walker. I just, I don't see how you can say anybody other than Jalen Brown after the GQ photo shoot this past offseason. He looked Yeah, but that just fabulous. means he has a stylist. Well, I mean, stylists are important to looking good. I don't know. I think Jalen is an objectively very handsome man. He's got big, strong arms, and uh, I, I think that's a big deal. <laughs> Worst looking. Wait, can I go back? Yeah. Am I allowed to say Brad Stevens? And would well, of you, course, he's would, a Celtic. Would you accept that as the correct answer? If you're giving it to me. I mean, I guess some people are into Pete Buttigieg, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I take it back. You're right. <laughs> Worst looking? No, that's too mean. I don't want to do that. Um, I, I don't think this person is bad looking. Be very but... in, open to interpretation. Mine is very open. I, I don't think my pick is bad looking, but Peyton Pritchard is a phenomenally interesting looking guy. Uh, I just, <laughs> I, I, th I think he's he's got That's some horrible. he's got some Cheddar Bob vibes going on, which are really cool. And cool. so I'm going to go with Peyton Pritchard. <laughs> oh man, I can't. I couldn't possibly uh, top that, but I I will say that Evan Turner is not a person that I like to look at in long bursts. Wow. That I could listen to him tell stories all the live long day. He's got a radio voice, you know? He does. He actually doesn't, but he's he's got radio charisma. Daniel Tice, second guessing his shot, is by far the ugliest thing on the Celtics. Just <laughs> watching him <laughs> sitting out there in the playoffs with a ball in his hands wide open. Nope, gonna pass it. <laughs> that was just unwatchable. Best dressed. I mean, GQ photo shoot. It's got to be my name, Jalen Brown. I, I, I think, but I, I will say, um, I do think that Marcus Smart has the best individual fit, obviously, with his Versace robe. Uh, yeah. So I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with that. Um, I actually think also there's an argument for Kemba Walker here, who has consistently shown some pretty dang nice ball game fits. Uh, there were some great photos of him last year, particularly uh, in the giant red coat that he brought at one point. <laughs> that was a cool vibe. 
Uh, I also know that the worst dressed player on this team is certainly Jeff Teague. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not going to rock the boat on that. I'm going to advocate for uh, bringing back the weird NBA fashion show at uh, All-Star Weekend because I sort of loved it. Um, and I'm going to use the remainder of my time to just – I miss Tim Duncan so much, <laughs> including the way that he dressed on the sidelines. Well, for me, uh, the worst dressed Celtic is Lucky the Leprechaun because that shit is racist. (laughs) One mascot at a time, Justin. We just got Cleveland to change its baseball team. (laughs) No offense to the guy who plays Lucky. You do a great job. I just, uh, no, I'm not into stage Irish. Look it up. It's not a good thing. Anyway, moving on. Enough of that. Uh, Team Comedian. Uh, I think it's Tristan Thompson. Tristan Thompson is really funny. Uh, I think it's going to very soon we're going to start to hear uh, stories from the locker room. Uh, Ennis Cantor had a weird friendship with Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown that uh, was really endearing. And I think that Tristan Thompson can step in and really find a home in this Celtics locker room. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to pick TT. I just don't see how you can say anybody other than Evan Turner when he's going to be in the locker room. He's <laughs> the funniest player in the league, maybe in the history of the league, if I'm being perfectly honest. So that's my pick. I was going with Aaron Nesmith, but you sold me. I, I really can't. Go the green beans. Yeah. <laughs> in, in limited samples, he seems to have a pretty good sense of humor, um, but probably that was a premature pick. Uh, team activist is pretty clearly Jalen Brown. I do think Marcus Smart uh, gives him a decent run for his money. Ennis Cantor was in the same ballpark, but he's no longer with us. Anyone else? I would just throw out that Ennis Cantor is also definitely CIA. So we need to take that activism with a little bit of a grain of salt. But uh, yeah, I, I largely agree. Uh, Tatum seems to be doing really great charitable work around the St. Louis community that doesn't elevate among uh, to the national status to really earn the title of activist in the way that I think we're talking about. But I would say that what Jason Tatum seems to be doing with his platform is commendable as well. But uh, giving Jalen Brown the, the opportunity to get it wrong sometimes because he is still a young man, it seems like he is stepping into the activist role. And actually, while we've been on air, he's been advocating for police reform in the state of Massachusetts on Twitter, which he plays professional basketball. That's about as much as we ought to ask of him. These are regular people, not demigods. Smartest person, truly Marcus. Oh yeah, it's Marcus Smart. I mean, the the way that uh, Marcus Smart seems to see the game is just fundamentally different than certainly anyone on this call, but Um, his peers in the NBA. Uh, I think part of that is that he's a little bit older than uh, Tatum and Brown, for example, but uh, man, yeah, he has an outsized uh, basketball IQ for sure. Yeah. Marcus Smart has an absolutely galactic brain. Uh, I can't think of somebody who is better at anticipating charges. Uh, He has some sort of spiritual connection with the ground that gives him you know, great foresight in that area. I do think Grant is an incredibly intelligent man. And so mm-hmm. I would also throw him in that conversation. But Marcus, Marcus just sees the game in such a fascinating way that I think it has to be in. Most enraging game we're going to watch this season. 
Uh, so most enraging game, I don't have an answer for. Originally, this category was most enraging player. Uh, and I will say there is going to be a point this season where Brad Stevens will play Carson Edwards 15 minutes straight. And at that point, I will walk into the ocean and probably never be seen again. So my most enraging watch pick is definitely Carson Edwards. I think there is also certainly going to be a game against like a Brooklyn or a Philly of the world where the Celtics fold in a critical possession late that ends up costing them. So, and, and that's going to be an awful experience, but as far as my most enraging watch goes, I think when, when Carson Edwards is just thrown into ro- into the rotation and breaking threes, I'm going to be very upset. Uh, the, Go ahead. the ghost of Kobe Bryant lives in Drew Hanlon, the shooting coach who mm-hmm. works alongside Jason Tatum and who has used the power of witchcraft to teach Jason Tatum to shoot sidestep long twos. And at times it is the most infuriating thing to watch as a Celtics fan, because it's not a very profitable shot when you make them. And it's a particularly not profitable shot when you miss them. Um, So there will be in the dog days of this regular season, a game on the back on a back to back against Philly or something where Jason Tatum in the third quarter just tries to unlock that inner Mamba. And maybe in 2006, that's how basketball was played, but that's not how we play basketball today, Drew Hanlon and the ghost of Kobe Bryant. So that's going to be the most infuriating part of my Celtics watching experience this season. For me, it's going to be Brad Stevens finding ways not to find not to play Robert Williams, even yep. when Tristan Thompson is out. Yep. Most fun random game. Um, I have this game pegged exactly on the schedule. I know exactly when it's going to be. Uh, February 19th. Uh, we have a game against the Atlanta Hawks who are going to be a record-setting bad defense. Uh, I also anticipate that there are going to be many games this year in which Kemba Walker will be out uh, and some games when Tremont Waters will be out. And that is going to lead to Peyton Pritchard with 18 points and four assists off the bench (laughs) in a win against an abysmal Hawks defense, a game which will endear him to Celtics fans for the rest of his life and make him untradeable going forward. <laughs> Man, that answer rocked. Uh, <laughs> I just, I can't get over the fact that Bradley Beal used to walk Jason Tatum to school. That just makes me so happy to think about. Um, so anytime the Celtics play the, the wizards, I know that Tatum is um, feeling close to home and feeling good. Uh, so any wizards game, I'm so fascinated by this wizards team and I love that friendship. Um, so Alex did his homework way more than I did because I had no idea when they play the Wizards, but that's going to be my pick. Most depressing loss. I also have this pegged exactly. Uh, Second night of a back-to-back, January 25th. It's going to be cold and miserable in the windy city of Chicago, uh, and that is where I expect that the Boston Celtics will simply not show up for that game. Uh, Again, second night of a back-to-back, and you're just in the depressing Midwest in the dead of winter. I think Jason just like, I, I, I think he is loath to get out of bed that day and just kind of sleepwalks through a game where he chucks up a lot of shots and uh, they don't go in. I think that um, slandering individual fan bases wholesale is not particularly intellectually honest. 
Um, but I would tell the Nets to act like they've been there, the Nets fans rather. And um, they haven't because it's a made up team. And before that, they were from New Jersey and everyone knows what people from New Jersey are like. Uh, so I am really anxious about this Christmas game because the Celtics are playing the Nets. Is that correct? And uh, high profile nationally televised games seem to loom larger in our mind than they do on uh, the standings in the standings. And so if the Celtics lose to the Nets on that opening night, uh, that's just going to grind my gears a little bit because again, I know a lot of Nets fans. Um, so if any members of the Celtics find themselves listening to this wonderful podcast, please bring it on Christmas. Yeah. My, my most depressing loss is in a similar vein, but much earlier in the schedule. In fact, it's the first game. And I say it's going to be the most depressing because we're just going to hear it from every single pundit and fan base and everything about how the Celtics are just taking a big step backwards. And regardless of whether they do or not, uh, that's just going to be awful. And I think there's a very good chance with this team that they're going to be a little bit rough to start. And I think that, the Bucks are going to have something to prove after an early exit in the playoffs. And it's just going to combine to a potential. I'm not saying definitely, but there is a very strong blowout potential there. And just having to listen to the narrative until the next game is just going to be unbearable for me. So for me, it's going to be the first game if they lose. Best win. Uh, I have pegged for this one. I, I am thirsting for some revenge after the Eastern Conference Finals, and I think the Celtics are too. My best win goes to an overtime revenge thriller on January 10th uh, against the Miami Heat. Uh, the game script I have mapped out is Jason Tatum gets 41, and Marcus Smart and Grant Williams combined to get key stops down the stretch. Man, I'm not... <laughs> I haven't looked at the schedule in weeks uh there's going to be a night somewhere uh against the hawks the putrid hawks or the confusing detroit pistons or james young in the knicks where jason tatum scores at least 55 points and that's going to rock most likely to succeed this season interpret it as you will so success is uh kind of a hard thing to put into a box in the nba uh, I chose to set my expectations for success as to who makes kind of the most tangible improvement over the course of the season, basically most improved player. Mm -hmm. uh, and for that, I think I like Grant Williams a lot. Uh, I think him making the progression into the starting lineup and becoming a regular fixture who's playing 25 minutes or more a game uh, is going to be a great success story to watch and a good thing for kind of the future foundation of this team. Yeah, uh, that's a really good pick. I think he has the most obvious pathway to um, big improvements. Uh, hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to reiterate that. I think not to put any pressure on Grant, but he has a great opportunity to really step into his own as, I mean, he didn't score 37 points in a Eastern Conference playoff game the way that Tyler Hero did, but the amount of love that Tyler Hero is getting uh, on the national stage, maybe we can give some of that to Grant Williams. He also overperformed in a big way. Uh, and so, yeah, I think he has an opportunity to find success this season. And I certainly um, hope he does. I'm going to go with uh, Jason Tatum 
for this one just because yeah. everything's set up for him. You, if success is defined in a different way than, than you two have taken it, and it's something that it involves stardom, superstardom, touches, opportunity, respect, uh, endorsements, and all those other things. They're even celebrating here. You can hear in the background. Jason Tatum has the best potential <laughs> shot uh, of success defined along some pretty boring but pretty common definitions of what we consider successful players to be. Um, on the opposite end of that coin, before we get out of here, who is most likely to be trade bait? Who's most likely not to be a Celtic by the end of the season? So it kind of pains me to say this because I've really loved uh, a lot of what he's brought to the table uh, these past three years. But, uh, you know, when I look at what the Celtics are kind of missing, what they need out of to kind of really make a deep run, and when I look at areas where the Celtics maybe have a little kind of fat to trim, I think uh, given the Tristan Thompson signing in the offseason, the fact that he's probably on this team for at least another two years, and mm -hmm. given that I think the Celtics are rightfully hoping that Robert Williams will pop this year, I think there's, uh, if, if both of those things happen, there's a more than reasonable chance that Daniel Tice becomes a movable piece for this team. Yeah. He's uh, on a really good contract. He can still be a productive player. And uh, I think the Celtics are going to look around their roster at the trade deadline and uh, start thinking about wing depth. So I'm going to go with Tice. Yeah, wing depth is going to be at uh, a big premium. I think Tice, he makes, he's going to make $5 million on an expiring this year. So that is going to be pretty attractive. Uh, Romeo Langford is not going to suit up for probably two months or so. By then, it's possible the Celtics have figured out what their wing depth looks like, either because Nesmith steps into a good role or they make a trade or they just whatever they need to do. Um, and he is an attractive young player with flashes of talent, um, a little bit more raw than Robert Williams, but they're both unknowns. But if the Celtics wanted to use the TPE, they would have to send out an intriguing young player. So uh, Langford is on that list for me. As much fun as it is to daydream, and I'm sure we'll do this on future podcasts, I don't see the Celtics making a big in-season trade. That's just not the way they operate. So Langford or uh, yeah, Robert Williams or another one of the young guys, I guess maybe Grant, if there's the right deal out there. But That'd be a uh, deal, I think. I think they really like him. Right, exactly. For me, uh, I'm just going to have to go with the opposite side of the coin of Tice, which is Robert Williams. Um, it really comes down to who, who improves and who doesn't and who, what it can get them in, in a trade. And so, I mean, if, for me, I think there's a good case for Romeo, but I think it's going to be one of, of Tice or Williams. It's too early for me to say which, but considering the fact that Tice is, again, on an expiring he seems to be more likely. I mean, you get the talent and if you want to, you can also clear roster space while having a very useful player. Right. Anything we're working on before we go? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, over on Off the Glass Basketball, otgbasketball.com, uh, I wrote about storylines in the NBA that we can all root for. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll tease one of them, which is that the reunion of John Wall and Boogie Cousins, if healthy in Houston, regardless of whatever James Harden chooses to do with his life, uh, that's a reunion 10 years in the making that I'm super pumped for. Um, and I wrote about that and other cool things to look out for on off the glass basketball. 
I have nothing in the works right now. Um, <laughs> Get I was, to work, buddy. Well, I've been grinding on these podcasts. I've done like four in the span of a week. So um, <laughs> that's been kind of my main thing. Um, I am definitely looking to start doing some more writing, particularly over winter break. Uh, I'm hoping to be done with grading in the next couple of days. And then once I'm done with that, that'll give me a chance to kind of clear my head and open up some space for writing. So soon to come. Well, as usual, you can find all of my stuff on the Celtics Wire. We're going to be transitioning to some live game action coverage. Finally. Finally. <laughs> and in any article that we post alongside them about the podcast, you can leave us a comment if you don't like what you hear. If you do like what you hear, you can give us five stars. Tell your friends. That kind of thing. Use Twitter with the hashtag CLPOD as we try to bring you the deepest dives into Celtics coverage. Take care. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.